This episode is sponsored by Carney Sando and Associates, a faculty recruitment firm for private schools and other educational organizations worldwide. If you're looking to hire exceptional faculty, or if you're a job seeker looking for your next teaching opportunity, visit carneysando.com. You are listening to Teaching While White, where whiteness intersects with anti-racist teaching and learning. I am Elizabeth Denevi. And I am Jenna Chandler-Ward. Over 80% of teachers in the U.S. are white, but most don't know that their whiteness matters. Teaching While White seeks to move the conversation forward and how to be consciously, intentionally anti-racist in the classroom. Because white does not mean a blank slate. It is a set of assumptions that is the baseline from which everything is judged. It is what passes for normal. Which means if you are not white or don't adhere to those assumptions, you are abnormal or less than. We want to have conversations about those assumptions, what they are, how they impact our students, and how we can confront our assumptions to promote racial literacy. You are listening to Teaching While White. I am so excited about this episode. We interviewed two of my favorite people, Rosetta Lee and Nathan Tanaka, both brilliant educators and social justice activists. And we're also discussing a topic that I hope more schools and more teachers will talk about, and that is the myth of the model minority. Yeah, so let's break down what we mean when we talk about the myth of the model minority. Usually, what it refers to is the perception that Asian immigrants and Asian Americans are more hardworking, smart, obedient, and submissive than the rest of the population, and that they never need help. Right. And what we found out in our research for this episode is that Asian American college students are more likely than any other racial group to seek medical leave, more likely to go on academic probation, and are less likely to graduate in four years. Also, Asian American students were more likely than white students to report difficulties with stress, sleep, and feelings of hopelessness and are less likely to seek counseling. 33% of Asian American students drop out of high school or don't graduate on time. Also, Asian Americans are experiencing the greatest rise in poverty among all racial groups. But many Asian American students are flying under the radar in large part because of the so-called positive stereotype. We also want to think about how perpetuating a myth about a model minority is connected to how we think about what it means to be white and the view that other racial groups are less than or just lazy or not as hardworking. This is a complicated idea, and we discuss it in greater detail with our guests today. I spoke with Rosetta Lee, who identifies as Korean American and knows what it's like to be viewed as a model minority. Rosetta is the outreach specialist for the Seattle Girls School and travels the country speaking and doing trainings about equity in schools. We began our conversation talking about how even the terms Asian and Asian American are problematic. Hey folks, we need to give you a little heads up. We had a technical glitch when we recorded Rosetta Lee. Please bear with us. She is well worth listening to, but she's going to sound a little off mic, as they say. We promise this won't happen again. 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I want to actually start off with is just disaggregating this notion of Asian-ness, right? Um, because I think ultimately, uh, most people, when they picture Asian, uh, uh, because of the white paradigm of what Asian means, oftentimes the folks that get featured or pictured are East Asians, Chinese, Koreans, Japanese, etc., and oftentimes in that portrayal, um, we're missing Southeast Asians, Cambodians, uh, Laotians, Vietnamese, etc. Uh, we're missing South Asians, although that is increasing as well because of the H-1B visas that are mm -hmm. happening and the increase of socioeconomically uh, well-off South Asian population that's growing in the United States. Um, and so South Asians, including Pakistani, Sri Lankans, uh, Indians, etc. And then, um, and then we need to also acknowledge that oftentimes the the data tries to aggregate Pacific Islanders into the picture. So Native Hawaiians, Polynesians, Samoans. So um, I just want to be specific. So as you think about then. Um the, the students, mainly East Asian students that you're working with, what, how are you seeing their relationship to whiteness? It's interesting because uh, you were talking about how oftentimes when we talk about race, it's in uh, terms of black and blackness and whiteness. Mm -hmm. um, and so oftentimes Asian, Asian American students are sort of left out of the conversations. Um, and there are, again, students who are Asian and students who are Asian Americans. So I think about Asian American as um, somebody who self-identifies as somebody who has influences, culture, background, context of both uh, whatever the ethnic community as well as um, U.S. mainstream culture. Uh, some kids have that context in very deeply and some kids are actually trying to learn that context and why they're here. So their relationship to whiteness is actually about, let me learn English, let me find out what U.S. mainstream culture is like. And so I think you find a lot of international students initially sort of mirroring white attitudes, white perspectives, um, biases, etc. Having so, grown up in Korea, I can tell you that um, anti-blackness is a, is a thing as well, right? Um, and then for students who are Asian Americans, mm. oftentimes their awakening to racial identity, issues of social justice, um, tend to be a little bit more there, right? Uh, in which case, oftentimes the tension is, I'm not white enough mm. to be considered white, but I'm not uh, different enough to be considered a person of color. Many Asian students have told me when there are students of color groups, um, mm -hmm. when they try to engage in that conversations, oftentimes black and Latino students and native students are like, you're not really a person of color. And that's actually a mirroring of the white narrative around Absolutely. model minority. Absolutely. Um, and there are a number of students who are also trying to uh, assimilate, if I don't aggregate with other Asian students, if I don't um, point out my experience as a person of color, then I can sort of blend in. And nobody treats me as a person of color, so why should I talk about myself as a person of color? And, um, and so I think it creates this isolation. I was uh, working at a school recently where they had done a lot of programs for their students of color, and in their climate survey, they, what they actually noticed was that the folks who felt the most disconnected and a lack of sense of belonging mm -hmm. was actually their Asian population. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah. And I think part of it was uh, with the intentional efforts to create affinity groups and um, pride opportunities and incorporation more into curriculum, that level of intentionality hadn't gone to the Asian American students or Asian students. So they weren't seeing themselves so represented in the curriculum. Uh, there weren't any, um, uh, there weren't too many uh, programs or opportunities to come together to build solidarity and identity. And for a lot of students, even when there were, those opportunities were offered, they were nervous about engaging mm -hmm. in those spaces. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of floating around on their own. And so um, it was both surprising and not so surprising to me. And I see that level of um, separation and subgrouping that happens among the faculty as well. Because mm -hmm. in independent schools, when I take a, encounter um, Asian and Asian American faculty, sometimes we are talking about uh, a student from mainland China who is here to teach Mandarin, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the third generation Asian American uh, teacher mm -hmm. who is battling the assumption around, what do you mean you're not the math teacher? Mm -hmm. um, and so- Or the Chinese yeah, teacher. Exactly. I mean, right, right, either one, like, if you're not the Chinese teacher, you're not the math teacher, what do you mean you're teaching English, right? Exactly, yeah. and so I think, um, depending on who you talk to, uh, their experience is, you know, so for some um, teachers, it's like, I know I'm gonna feel like the other because I'm ethnically other, I'm culturally other, I'm here in the United States to do a job, so mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel like I'm supposed to have that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, Asian American folk who are like, I, I identify as Asian, as a person of color, uh, and with my ethnic heritage, and my experience is very racialized, and I don't feel like um, there are too many spaces. Again, when we have faculty of color gatherings, there is a sense of when I show up, half the folks are wondering what I'm doing there. Mm. So, mm. How do you think, I mean, have you seen successful strategies um, for both students and adults? I think especially when we're trying to build these coalitions. Um, and I think also helping uh, well, I think it's interesting, the story of these these kids that are coming from, let's say, mainland China and coming in. I think I think that notion of American is white to a certain extent. And so if they're going to come be in America, they want to be that way. Um, I, I always feel bad for those kids because I feel like they almost have to go through one transition and then they may have to go through another if they decide to stay um, once they've spent some time here. Because oftentimes um, had a former student of mine who came as a freshman from mainland China, decided to stay. By like her junior year, suddenly she's like, oh, I, I think I'm becoming Asian American. Like it was this interesting moment of she was sort of transitioning and she almost had to go through another assimilation mm -hmm. process and even had some difficulty with some of the students of color and the other Asian students who were like, you didn't want anything. You know, you first got here. You didn't want anything to do with us. Yes. Um, you know, you just wanted to hang out with those kids. And so now you want to come and hang out with the kids of color. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was an interesting and painful mm -hmm. uh, sort of process to watch because um, you want them trying to be able to focus on school yeah. um, and think about academics. Um, so are there strategies that you've seen that are successful for helping to mitigate some of these um, maybe increased notions of community and connectedness? Um, I think part of it is how do we have conversations? Oftentimes I think um, students are categorized based on how they look, not how mm -hmm. they identify. Right, because ultimately there are students who are identifying ethnically. They're like, I don't know what Asian means. I don't know what person of color means. I'm Chinese, 
right? And I know that. Yes. Yeah. And there are some students who are identifying racially. I am Asian and a person of color. Um, what I find really interesting is that um, Asian, um, as I think about it, uh, Asian American was a term that was created by Asian Americans to assert political identity. But the way it's used as a categorization, that's not how it's used, right? It's you look this way and therefore you are, uh, belong in this category. And um, it's really and interesting. so, yeah. And so for me, I think um, recognizing when the support systems are about students who are going through an ethnic identity journey, um, that's really about affirming culture and affirming um, tradition. And you don't want to aggregate because um, Japanese culture, Chinese culture, South, you know, um, like Cambodian culture, these are all very different cultures. And so sometimes when you say things like Asian Culture Club, it actually um, mirrors the white assumption of what Asian culture is. When when you dig down what folks think about Asian culture, they're really thinking about like Chinese culture, right? Let's celebrate Lunar New Year. And um, if you take a look at which country celebrate and how, they look really different. And yet we tend to do a monolithic celebration that is basically a mirroring of mainland China. Right? Um, and so my thing is, if you're going to celebrate and support ethnic um, identity and culture, do that, but do that meaningfully. And be specific. Exactly. And, you know, I immigrated from South Korea when I was 10. So up until I was about 16, I didn't really think of myself. I would say 16, 17, 18. I didn't really call myself Asian. I knew mm -hmm. that I was categorized that way, but I'm not, I wasn't sure what that meant. Mm -hmm. For me, I was always Korean. Mm -hmm. And my otherness had to do with the fact that my home smelled differently, the way my parents parented looked differently, etc. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me uh, sort of not feel validated and not feel seen and mirrored in the curriculum and things like that. Um, in college, as I started to experience racialized experiences, that's when I came together with other folks from Asian countries mm -hmm. or Asian ethnicities to say, these are the assumptions that are blanket put on us as a group. It doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or Japanese or Vietnamese, like we're experiencing similar sort of impacts of racism. And at that point is when I own the term Asian American, right? And then as I did more social justice work, I'm like, wow, in different ways, but we are experiencing white supremacy and normativity um, Granted, the forms look different for all of us, but ultimately we are still living underneath a paradigm mm -hmm. and trying to grapple and trying to find our humanity in this paradigm. So let me call myself a person of color so that I can come together with others. Absolutely. So for me, mm -hmm. if you want to really support students, you have to understand and create programming that allows students to show up to the spaces where they feel like this group meets me where I am. Because I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I notice is I support a lot of schools starting affinity groups. And I, over and over again, I hear Asian affinity groups having the hardest time because oftentimes they can't decide whether they're a cultural group, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whether they're, it's, a, it's a racial identity group, mm -hmm. or whether it's a person of color support group. And I think all of those things look slightly different, but schools try to do it all and capture everybody, mm -hmm. and it's never going to have to show up that way. Um, so my, my thing is, how what what would it look like um, to have events or opportunities that discuss one thing at a time? 
So if I say today we're going to gather in this space and have a conversation about the whitewashing in mainstream media and look at some of the history of erasure of Asians and Asian Americans in movies and TV, certain kids are going to show up and the other ones won't, mm -hmm. right? If I talk about, uh, you know, what are some of the various ways that we are grappling with um, uh, home culture around filial loyalty and obedience and gratitude toward our older mm -hmm. generation and at the same time develop our unique and independent selves. Different kids are going to show Absolutely. And so I think um, to a certain degree, like you, you need to be able to understand some of the nuances and differences mm -hmm. and support kids where they are. I, I think that's incredibly helpful. And I think, again, I think so much in what we know about equity education, like specificity is our friend. Mm -hmm. And I think um, part of it is, I think to me also sort of that, that whiteness piece of it is, is that we don't know the diff we don't know the histories of those different Asian groups. And so oftentimes I notice that if I say something like that, like, look, if you're putting Chinese and Japanese kids together, let's just look at those two, the history of those two countries, what has gone on, what's happening. You are talking about very different trajectories, but I don't even know how well we're aware of um, peace. And I'm someone who taught literature, the Vietnam War and, and other pieces and never thought about, oh, I counted that as my as my Asian experience, right? When I was teaching those books, if I was looking for mirrors for my Asian students, oh, good, okay, there's one. Um, but not realizing, similar to what we can almost talk about, the African-American experience, if the only books that those black kids ever see are either about enslavement or the civil rights movement, right? Are there other messages, other things you would hope you would want white teachers to know um, in approaching students? Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, oftentimes, and I do this as a teacher myself, is that if somebody is really flying high and showing off and winning awards, we notice them. And when they're really struggling mm -hmm. and they're talking about it, uh, we notice them. But oftentimes we, when we feel like they're doing fine, we often forget mm -hmm. to support them. Mm -hmm. And I find that many times Asian American students, Asian and Asian American students are in that bind mm -hmm. where academically they're doing okay. Socially, they're, they seem to be doing okay and things like that. But when you take a look at things like, um, you know, the, the level of bullying that happens in schools, oftentimes Asian Americans will rate really high in mm -hmm. terms of experiencing identity-based harassment, bullying, and marginalization microaggressions. Um, I know that the message from my parents was, you're here to get an education, not, not feel like you're having a great day, so just keep your head down and work mm -hmm. hard. And so mm -hmm. I never would have complained about it. And so sometimes um, I think I hear a universal message of the Asian kids are doing fine. And I'm like, what is the data that supports your sense? Is it, you know, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing is that um, the burden of assumption of excellence, right? Um, and, you know, teacher expectations results in teacher uh, student uh, outcomes, which is great. And so when you have high expectations of Asian students and they perform high, that's great too. At the same time, oftentimes that high expectation means 
Um, students don't get to be, Asian students don't get to be in a learning zone uh, like everyone else. Like I wanna know that if I'm grappling with a difficult concept, um, that I can mess up and that I can do okay or not okay. And the teacher will be like, it's all part of the learning process and here we go. Um, oftentimes I hear students tell me things like the teacher acted really surprised mm. that I got a 70% on mm -hmm. this math test mm -hmm. and it made me feel really small. Mm. And so there are times when the expectation being high is great, but the assumption of high performance is something else. Absolutely. And I think the stereotype threat that there may be a piece in there, whether it's all Asian students are good at math or whatever, or they're all good students, or they all have parents at home that are driving this home, that notion of, I think we think, you know, oh, and I often hear folks, oh, it's a good stereotype. Um, and we try to really work and say, I don't know that there's good or bad stereotypes. It's just stereotypes. Because for the kid who doesn't fit the stereotype, it's not good. Yeah, and I think the other piece of the so-called um, good stereotype is this. Um, I don't, uh, ultimately, there were times when I um, and other students even now, uh, this is an experience I had in school myself, um, I would be working really, really hard. I would be contributing blood, sweat, and tears. And, and, and I did well, and the reaction was, of course, not congratulations, mm -hmm. not I can tell you work really hard mm -hmm. or I'm proud of you, but of course. And so it was one of those things where, um, and, and we see this as a part of the model minority stereotype, a hard worker, but never seeks the limelight. Um, and frankly, uh, not that I needed a whole lot of like mm -hmm. pats on the back or accolades, but the fact that I knew how hard I had worked and that being met with um, lukewarmness uh, told me, and this is the way I describe it when I talk about, for example, like the black Asian tensions, right? I'm like, black folks are expected to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. And then Asian folks have to work four times as hard to be considered twice as good, which is what they're supposed to be. Either way, we have to work harder. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's just Absolutely. 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 Um, thank you so much for joining us today. So appreciate it. And thank you for all just the great work that you do out there. Thank you so much. That was Rosetta Lee, the outreach specialist for the Seattle Girls School and an expert on issues of equity in education. Nathan Tanaka is a Japanese-American teacher and racial justice activist in the Bay Area. He agrees with Rosetta that Asian students are often overlooked and even made invisible. Just a reminder that Nathan is speaking about his own beliefs and his own experiences. I think, you know, sometimes because Asian students find academic success, um, People, or especially white teachers, um, will miss the the holistic, you know, the social emotional side of an Asian student's experience or their identity development. Or, um, and I think that's, you know, people will say, "Oh, that kid's great. Like he's great at math. Like don't worry about him." You know, and then, but what about how he feels at school? Like I had a student this year who was great at math. Um, this uh, Chinese American student um, and. People are always like, oh, he's so great. Like, you know, he just does what he needs to do. Um, and he works really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people, you know, in my class, when we talk about identity, 
um, and share things about how we're feeling, it came it came really clear that he was grappling with um, being in a white space. And he said outright, I just don't know anything about American culture, is what he mm. said. He said, I don't eat American food, I don't do American things, and I often don't know what's going on, and it's it's kind of scary for me. And I think, and he cried as he shared to the class. Um, you know, I I, I was really um, I felt good that he he felt safe enough to share that. Yeah. But I think that he's not he's not the only kid that feels that way. Um, so I, you know, when I think about Asian students, I do feel like there's that that piece of um, you know they if they're doing well academically, it's just kind of like, all right, don't, don't worry about them. Like, let's not worry about the fact that they may just play cards all the time at recess or that they don't like to public speak or that they don't really raise their hand um, or that they don't smile or laugh or, you know, any, yeah. any of those things. Um, they, they hate being like in the play and they don't play sports. Right. Um, like mm. it's like this acceptance that this kid's Asian and, um, he wants to do well academically, nothing else, and that's all that the parents want. And that's not true, right? And I think um, I think that that's how students get overlooked. And the other piece of it all is just um, just I feel like there's a ton of microaggressions that um, Asian students experience. Um, hey, folks, we're going to interrupt here in case some listeners are unfamiliar with the term microaggression or have been wondering what it really means. A microaggression can be a casual put-down, or a slight, or an unconscious comment that may seem little or insignificant, like calling an Asian student by the wrong name. No big deal. I call everyone the wrong name. I didn't mean anything by it. But for this person, maybe they have been called the wrong name every day. These incidents pile up and cause racial stress. It's sort of like death by a thousand paper cuts. Okay, back to Nathan. And... You know, I've, I think everyone experiences microaggressions, but I think Asian students particularly experience a lot. And maybe they're not the most horrible things, but it, it is a kind of over a lifetime of experience those things. This feeling of being a perpetual other or perpetual foreigner um, has lasting effects in terms of your own self-confidence and what type of um, how far you can go in life or what you can say and what you cannot say. Uh, if you truly belong or not. So I think um, those things are overlooked, and I don't know that um, schools are thinking about about that, for, for specifically towards Asian students. I mean, I think they should be thinking about that for all kinds of students, but I think that's one that particularly gets overlooked. Yeah. My students and I were doing some research. We were doing um, a project looking at when were some of the firsts that happened in television mm -hmm. um, to become normalized. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked to find out that Margaret Cho's American Girl was the first time there was a TV show that featured an Asian family. And that since then, Fresh Off the Boat is the only yeah. other the only other TV show that features an Asian mm -hmm. character family. I just wonder about that cultural influence when Asians are made so invisible in pop culture. Does that contribute to white teachers not seeing Asian students in the classroom because it's just not part of consciousness? No, I, I think it totally does. And I think, you know, how do you, so at what ways do you see Asian people, right? You might, first of all, you don't. And then when you do see them, it's like lost in translation. It's just like random background people, right? Like, it's just like, I think that's really, really harmful. It's just like, all these stories that take place in Asian settings with Asian people like all around just like doing whatever they're doing and their story is not shared. It it shows that's like, oh like they're just 
doing their thing. Like, it, who cares what they're doing? Right. And so in the classroom, it's like, oh, especially if there's no glaring, like, this kid is, is struggling academically, it's like, oh, they're good. And I think there's also just, I mean, that model minority concept is just totally um, out there, right? And I think that contributes to, and I think, again, going back to not really looking at these students and seeing, like, where are they maybe not you know being able to be their full self and i think there's a lot of code switching that happens for asian students um that isn't talked about can Um, you say more about that well yeah i mean code switching in terms of you know i think we talk about it a lot um in terms of the black experience of like like uh being white at school and then being at home and then speaking differently and and acting differently and i I think it's the same thing and Mm -hmm. For a lot of Asian students, you know, you you're at school, you 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 take part in what you're supposed to do when you're at home, you know. The way that you talk to your parents is different. The values are totally different. You know, um, you know, you're at school and there's like, oh, it's all about like equity and being yourself. And then you go home and it's like, no, it's not about that. It's about you. You do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. You you need to you need to do this for the family. And the, and that contrast of and I think it, that's almost like a stereotypical example that people hear. And, and in some way, you know, in some ways, I think it's true. But I think like that idea of like, yeah, I'm at, you know, I, I felt it growing up like, you know, um, I just see all my white friends just having all this like freedom and like going out and hanging out. And I remember there was like one night where like, all, like my middle school friends were going to the, to a park at like 7 p.m. or something. And like, you know, I wanted to go. And my mom was like, no way, you're not going out there. And I was like, Come, you know, it, it just was like this. I was like, why? Like, everyone else is going. Like, what's the problem? And it's this just this idea of like, no, that's like, you're going to become like a, I don't know what you're going to be doing there. You're, and I think I think that comes from all kinds of things. As an immigrant parent, she's probably seen all kinds of stories about like American culture and probably thought I was going to go to the park and then do drugs and have sex and have a baby all in one night or something, right? <laughs> and she's just trying to protect me from that. So I think that's that piece is... Um, and I think just navigating that back and forth of going to school and having to, you know, um, you know, shake people's hands and look them in the eye, right? Like, like that's not really what I'm not, I won't speak for all the Asian, all the Asians. <laughs> I'll speak for myself. Though it's not something that I, not, you know, necessarily grew up doing. You know, um, living in Japan, people bow, people don't look at each other in the eye. What are some of those other pieces that white teachers just maybe aren't getting that are not cultural norms? Uh, whenever there's like a, we're just hanging out at a party and we're gonna like walk around and like you know even in my classroom for open house we put all the at the end of the year we just put up all this work the final projects and it's very open and casual and people come in and you can just come and and hang and talk right but that itself I think is not really a great situation for some parents and I'm really aware of that because I think about like what it might have been I been like for for my or my mom especially to come into a space like that and be like okay so what are we supposed to do like mm-hmm. am I supposed to go say hi to the teacher or am I just supposed to stay off to the side and then um coming into that space and and I see it like I see it especially with my students of color and when they come with their parents they come into this and it's like a really white space just because there's a lot of white people and um they're kind of like slinking off to the side and then like I'm being like bombarded with all these parents that want to say hi and say thank you and it's and that's just the way it is right like come in how do you navigate like like that kind of open hmm. community time and i think as a student like an asian student for example seeing your asian parent 
look scared and Mm -hmm. be unsure of how to navigate that is like a lasting effect right and i think that goes back to that that otherness that um which which goes back to maybe not speaking up and you yourself as a student not advocating and for yourself whereas like other you know um other families are doing that um so i you know i always like specifically i mean i i specifically find those parents and try to go talk to them and and introduce myself and um it's tricky because that in some ways those those are like the the norms at at some of the schools we're at and that's just the the way that things happen and i think uh, it's important to think about how can we shift um the way we have open open house or the way we have back to school night so that it's more conducive for all kinds of people parents and people who have different you know, experiences to to be able to feel comfortable in that space. Can we go back to talking about the academic success for Asian students mm-hmm. and um, sort of the problems of the positive stereotype? Yeah, I think um, it's a uh, I think it's a big thing where um, the expectations being really high. You know, if you are good at um, you know at Asian student this year, he's, he was really good at math and um, he kind of owned that, but then anything else, like he was so hard on himself to be like, I'm not good. I'm this is this isn't good enough. And um, he was actually a really great writer. And I, I don't know. I had to tell him that this is really good, like over and over again. And it, because it wasn't like the top, he just was kind of like, I'm I'm not good at this. And I think the danger of that is um, just not. It's that you know, uh, what do you call it, stereotype threat or whatever it might be that I'm just not good at this, so I'm not going to try and I never will be. And um, I think that goes along with, with other other aspects of what I find important academic skills like public speaking or discussing, um, reading. Um, I think if, if because there's like some kind of expectation to be excellent, to, to not hit that mark is... Do teachers assume that Asian students are going to be good at everything is there that expectation mm-hmm. I think there is I mean I, I mean I think to say that there isn't would be would be silly I think these these stereotypes and expectations are, are that around us are, are real and we all hold them like I think I, I hold them about all, all other groups of people and I think that that bias whether you're actively and I think that's the other thing I don't think people actively try to fight that bias I think and maybe that's that's the interesting piece of it is that since it's kind of like I guess a positive thing they're like oh like you're not even recognizing if you're if that bias is affecting you that you have some kind of high expectation for a student or or that you have an expectation that they're just going to be quiet right like I think um when we're thinking about other expectations for other groups of kids maybe maybe teachers are more cognizant of that right um of not trying to perpetuate or to actively work against um, whereas for the for these narratives that exist for Asian students, it's not it's not at the top of the priority list of checking your implicit bias. Um, so maybe that's so it's just it another way of making Asian students more invisible. It's, it doesn't because yeah 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 the idea of a positive stereotype, and if you don't fit the stereotype, it's just as damning as if you do maybe I don't know it still doesn't allow people to be fu- fully human right right and I think that's the whole thing right we talk about privilege as uh, privilege as um, having no expectation of what you're supposed to be and um, I definitely think that's not the case for Asian students and, mm. and many others 
I mean, even when I'm, I keep, again, checking my own bias is that I keep speaking to a lot of the, like, East Asian mm-hmm. experiences, which is my own. And when we th- uh, think about other Asian experiences, it's not necessarily the same, right? Um, so yeah, it's there it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you wish you would never hear again from a white teacher about an Asian student? Like, like oh, he's all good. Or like, oh, like she's she's solid. She's great. She's awesome. Um, when when the person has not thought about the other pieces of of the student, like like the kid I was talking about earlier, who you know who cried. I remember when we were placing um, placing him in different groups for sixth grade. He got moved like. Ten times, he's like, "Oh, he's great. You just put him there. Like he, he's so he's really he's strong academically. He's like, and he listens to what you say. Just put him there. Put him there. Put him there. Right? Um, and I'm like, "Well, what about like his friends? Or um, do you think he's going to have a good fit with a, a relationship with a teacher?" Um, I think that that's kind of it's it's a, I think it's that nuance that um, that kind of bugs me sometimes. Can you talk about maybe some of the ways whiteness has? Yes. Affected you. Yes, for sure. I mean, as an Asian teacher in these schools, I think classic is like, um, you know, people not realizing you're the teacher. <laughs> or, you know, I remember one time I was sitting with my with my colleague and we're sitting at the table and um, we're just there in the summer. It was early summer. I mean, uh, late summer, right before school started. And we're just, you know, getting ready for the year. And a new a new teacher came. Right? And she has, she was just there early as well. And there's been no formal introductions or anything. And she walks up to us, and um, we're just sitting there, the two of us, and then engages with us, and then um, just talks to my colleague, like, the whole time, just talking and talking. Um, and, you know, I'm, like, willing to say something, but they're just, like, she's, like, completely looking at him, and I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm just sitting here. Uh, it's not a new feeling. Um, but I'm sitting there, and then uh, and then my colleague was like, do you, have you met, have you met Nathan already? And she's like, no. And, and I think he said that because he recognized, like, why are you only talking to me? Like, like I just met you. Like, oh, you must have met Nathan, so that's why you're not, like, engaging. Um, and I think that's a good example of, like, I don't know who, who she thought I was, but uh, I wasn't the person to talk to um, or, or get information from. You know, it's a lot of other things like that, like um, going to on a field trip or something, and there's, like, a few of us together. It's, like the person who's engaged like who you know like they might not say they might not say who's in charge here but you can tell that's what they're looking for and when they walk over it's like you walk past me and talk to to the white teacher Mm -hmm. um so i think stuff like that is is really common um and the other thing is the classic is like being confused with other asian teachers like over and over again um but that's happened my whole life so it's not surprising that it continues to happen even as a teacher were you called the wrong name as a student yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I try to. I mean, that happens everywhere. I think so. I I always try to tell my um, white colleagues that that um, that's a, a no no. But then sometimes the response will be like, "Well, there's just so many of them." I mean, like. There's like seven out of like fifty, or you know, I get like, that's just a loaded comment to begin with, right? And so there's so many of them, them is like, yeah. uh, 
So it's just perpetuating the idea that it's a white space, and if there's a lot of Asian kids, then it's like, oh, there's there's so, so many. It's like, oh, like cause it's taking. It's like an invasion or something. It's just reminding of what the space is supposed to be as a white space. And, and is there anything else you want to say um, about? Yeah. To white teachers or I think people don't teach enough about the Asian experience and all the different all the different laws and Chinese Exclusion Act, Gentlemen's Agreement, you know, all the different laws that uh, kept Asians um, to become citizens, um, laws that kept certain a- Asian people marrying white people. There's all these historical um, laws and things that have happened to the Asian community and it doesn't get talked about and I don't think and I I wasn't taught it and I I don't think people really talk about Asian American activists either right like I don't even I like know very few and if I know that uh, you know I learned it and learned these people in adulthood and I think that perpetuates the model minority myth because it's like people just think that Asians just all of a sudden were were all good they don't realize that they're um, the Asian community has faced a lot of systemic racism and has pushed back and fought hard to make change um um and i think that it's just like asians just appeared and then like found some success right and and i think that's because of the lack of education that exists in our schools about um asian american history because i think without it um it it does uh perpetuate that idea that asians just came and they found success with without any um hardship you know when it's been eight years teaching and and i've been doing diversity work the whole time but the reality is that i don't i haven't really really had a chance to think about asian experience um or model minority myth right i really haven't had that opportunity and i think even that that realization that i've spent a lot of time in diversity work but specifically thinking about it um Asian students and supporting them hasn't been a big part of the work, I think is um, is it an, an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. It gets oftentimes left out of the conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was Nathan Tanaka, a fifth grade teacher in the Bay Area. He's also a diversity coordinator and social justice activist. I feel like we could do a 10-part series on this topic. Yeah, this is a super complex issue that can't be covered in one episode. So, to be continued. To close us out, we hear from Ryan, who moved from South Korea to Massachusetts about a year and a half ago. He talks about how surprised he was by the assumptions people made about him when he came to this country. Ryan is 13 years old. For me, the model minority myth is you're driven to only one specific goal. This is like a typical stereotype that they're better at math and you're um, pressed to only this one path. So you have this pressure on. If you don't achieve in this first specific field, then you're not going to be successful. And yeah, so it gives someone like limited space and confines them to a spot that they might not want to be in. I guess the myth makes people only look at certain skills 
and but to me like for me math is is my favorite subject and like people they were uh, like others if other peers are like of course you're good at math um since you're asian to me it's like i i've worked um really hard on this subject and then you're kind of like uh undermining my effort i mean whenever i say like i play hockey it's not i mean yeah since it's not a popular sport in korea people are i guess surprised um i think teachers should definitely know what the model minority myth is and be careful about it That was Ryan, a 13-year-old student, originally from Korea, now living in the Boston area. Thank you for joining us. We love hearing from our listeners. Send us a message through our website at www.teachingwhilewhite.org. Let us know what you were thinking about. Yes, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It helps others to find our podcast. We want to thank our guests, Rosetta Lee, Nathan Tanaka, and student Ryan. We also want to thank our sponsor, Carney Sando. Our amazing editor is Kate Ellis. Our sound editor and mixer is Lyra Smith. Special thanks to Mitch Hanley. And our theme song is written and performed by Todd Bearson. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth Denevi. And I'm Jenna Chandler-Ward. And this is Teaching While White.